This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to pick up tonight with verse number 6. This is basically where we left off last week, and uh, I pray that the study thus far has been a blessing to you. Peter is writing this book, and uh, he is somewhat under a great burden when he's writing. We pick up with verse number six, and he says this, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. I want to remind you that as Peter is writing this scripture, and let me emphasize that all scripture is given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all of it. All of it is God-breathed. As the Spirit of God is moving his hand to write these marvelous words, the early church is under manifold persecutions. The person in charge of the government where Peter was working at this particular time, that's probably the best way to say it, his name was Nero. Nero came to the throne when he was 17 years old. He ended up committing suicide at the age of 32. He was a barbaric person, a very cruel individual. In fact, he was responsible for the murder of his own mother. As Peter is writing this passage of Scripture, when he says, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. I want you to look at this word heaviness. And if you're taking notes and you're writing in the margin of your Bible or in your workbook, you might want to put quotation marks around that word. Peter was offering comfort to believers who were going through an unbelievable period of adversity. And uh, by the way, let me say this, <clears throat> Christians today also live in the abundance of manifold temptations and persecutions. There, there is no comfort zone for us on this earth. There is no place where we can go to escape persecutions, troubles, trials, burdens, heartaches, sorrows. And it's going to be that way, and that's a byproduct of sin. And it will always be with us until the Lord Jesus comes again. However, in the midst of these types of heartaches and sorrows, burdens that we go through, when Peter gives us the exhortation in the Scripture to rejoice, Paul said it in another way. He said, again, I say rejoice. But Peter is saying here, greatly rejoice. Even though things are difficult, things are not the way that you would desire them to be. Through heaviness. And that word gives us the implication that his spirit was being pressed upon. He was weary. He was burdened down. He was troubled. He was perplexed. 
Let me remind you that we as believers, we also go through seasons and periods of times of great heaviness. All of us do. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe there's been a season in your life where you felt like the only thing you could do was to cry. You might say, well, preacher, I'm a grown-up. Grown-ups don't cry. That's a misconception. People who have that mentality also think men don't cry. But we do cry. Jesus himself wept. The scripture gives three occasions in the scripture where he did. But maybe you found yourself in some particular situation that you were going through. That's all you could do. Maybe you couldn't sleep. Maybe you couldn't eat. Maybe it just wore you down so heavily that you, you got depressed. That happens to Christians. I want you to know this, that we, we are living in an earthly body that's encompassed with a great adversary. The word says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the devil comes at, at, at us on all scales of life. No matter who we are, where we are, he comes at us, and that's in the scripture. But maybe you found yourself in such a period of time of heaviness, and maybe you're watching tonight, and you are in that predicament right now. You say, Pastor, I'm going through that season right now. I'm depressed, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm troubled, I'm burdened. It seems though my spirit is cast down. That sounds like a lot of gloom and despair and physical and emotional agony, but that's the way that life comes at us at times. In spite of it all, Peter said, though that I'm coming to you right now with the spirit of heaviness, though now for a season, and you have to remember the conditions that he was writing this, the church was being severely persecuted. And he says this, he said, rejoice greatly, just for a season. It reminds me, well, let me ask you, class, what scripture does that remind you of? Burdened, sorrowful, heavy in heart, for a season. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. He said this, Rejoice greatly. So as he's giving us the admonition to do this, in verse number seven, the scripture says this, that the trial of your faith, imagine the trial of his faith as he was writing these words, the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying that real, genuine faith is more precious than gold. There are numbers of scriptures that teach us in the Old Testament, it has rhythm and rhyme with the New Testament, the just shall live by faith. I spoke a little bit about this on Sunday morning. We cannot allow our lives to be governed with fear. You will be 
a shipwrecked, imprisoned. Uh, you will be captive in your heart and your mind and your spirit if you live by fear. You can't do that. But let me emphasize this. When I think of this thing about fear and living in fear, God understands our human limitations. He understands our human weakness. For example, do I believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were about to be cast in the fiery furnace, do I believe that they were scared out of their skin and that their knees were knocking? Absolutely. I mean, how would you feel? And then have somebody say, now I want you to jack it up seven times hotter. 10 times, 20 times hotter, whatever the case may be. We have a human nature and God understands that. And God understands that there are things that makes us fearful in this world. But fear is not of God. And as fear comes our way, remember this, he knows how to speak to the storm. He knows how to wake a storm up if that's what we need. But he also knows how to speak peace to them. Peter, in this verse, verse number seven, he is reminding us that one day gold is going to perish. I was watching a documentary the other day, and it was about these people who had inherited an enormous amount of land. And the land was out in a Midwestern state, and it was nothing but cactus and tumbleweed as far as you could see. But they had reason to believe that their estate was sitting on a gold mine. And they were bringing in all kinds of equipment and drills that were going down 80 and 85 feet into the ground. And they would drill a hole here and they would find nothing. They would drill a hole there and find nothing. And the man came on in one of the edited commercials that was promoting that particular show and he asked this question because, I don't know, it seemed like there was millions of dollars of equipment out there and armies of people and they were digging and digging and digging and they weren't finding anything. And the man asked this question. He said, if you thought that you were sitting on a gold mine, would you keep digging? And I got to thinking about that. There are a lot of people in this world that's just going to keep digging and digging and digging and digging. And listen, Gold is worth a lot. This particular show ended up with, they didn't find the gold that they were looking for, but they found where some meteorites had come from outer space, hit the ground out there, and some of the stones were covered with this blue type of stone and uh, was far more valuable than gold itself. But the point being is this, no matter what stone we're looking at, gold, silver, precious stones, all of that one day will mean absolutely nothing. It will decay, 
It will be done with. It will perish. In fact, look at 2 Peter chapter 3. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves in this particular study, but I want you to see this because this passage of Scripture goes hand in hand with what I'm talking about. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, Peter says, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. In verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Everything about this earth and this world is going to be disintegrated and destroyed by God one day and all things, according to the scripture, will be made new. And Peter, in this passage, in this presentation, as he's writing, his goal, his motive his perspective, he has his eye on the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. And we're going to be talking about that Sunday in the message, Lord willing, with the rapture. And now verse number eight, follow along with me. The scripture says, and we're talking about Jesus Christ and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Verse number eight, who having, this is precious. This was something that I took a little bit farther than uh, just uh, hovering over uh, the passage uh, for the moment. Uh, I went just a little bit deeper with verse number eight, and I want you to follow along with me. I pray that it be a blessing to you as well. Whom having not seen, now again, he's talking about Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, Ye love. Now, again, when we read these scriptures, for me, it's just an automatic. It's just a given that my mind, the Holy Spirit just gravitates my thoughts to another passage of scripture, a similar story or a similar verse, a similar passage. And so I want you to be thinking about that because it's something very important for us as believers. Again, whom we're talking about Jesus, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing by faith, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And this is a very precious passage of scripture. Keep in mind now, Peter had seen the Lord. Are you following me? He says here in verse 8, he says, you keep the faith. Some of you haven't seen him, but I have seen him. I have been with him. He says, whom having not seen this particular passage, as Peter writes with exhortation, applies to you and me today. We haven't seen the Lord with our physical eyes. This man that wrote this did. He had seen him. And when he thinks about the magnificent beauty in the eyes of Jesus, even in the physical realm, he could not help but to love him. I mean, when he wrote this passage of scripture, whom having not seen, ye love. When he wrote this, I believe he remembered the interactions he had with Jesus as though it was yesterday. 
I'm sure when he wrote this, he probably reminisced and he remembered when Jesus said to him in a little place called Caesarea Philippi, I can just imagine Peter as he's writing, maybe he puts his pen down momentarily when he thinks about whom having not seen, he's saying, I know many of you haven't seen him, but I have. We have handled him. We have talked to him. We have seen him. We have touched him. We walked with him. We slept with him. We ate with him. We were with him. And maybe just for a moment, his mind got up. It got caught up with precious memories. And maybe he remembered the day when Andrew came running and said, Peter, we have found the Messiah. Come and see. And Andrew takes his brother to this little place. I have been there many times. I have spoke there. I've preached there many times. Some of you have been to the Holy Land with me. You've been there many times. In that little plot of ground, and it's called Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus was speaking and Andrew brought his brother to the feet of Jesus and Jesus was teaching with great authority, and he looked into the eyes of Peter. Maybe Peter lays his pen down here in verse number eight, and he reminisces when Jesus looked into his eyes and said, whom do men say that I am? Maybe Peter thought about the answer. He, maybe he reminisced and said, I remember saying, Lord, some say you're Elijah. Jesus said, whom do you say that I am? Maybe Peter has got the quill in his hand and he begins perhaps maybe to tremble. Maybe he begins to perspire. Maybe he begins to become overwhelmed with joy. I don't know. But he remembers saying, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Maybe Peter, when he gets to this passage of scripture, he remembers Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, calling out to him, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Maybe in verse number eight, Peter, as he's writing, he remembers the Lord asking this question, Peter, lovest thou me? More than these? Maybe he heard the words in the distance of his mind and memory. Peter, feed my sheep. Here are the keys of the kingdom. Feed my sheep. But when I look at this passage of scripture, the scripture says, whoming whom having not seen, you love. If you're writing in your Bible, making notes, underline the word love just for a moment. Because I believe this particular word, out of all of the other memories that Peter could have had in verse number eight, maybe the word love jarred more memories than anything else. When Jesus asked the question about love and loving him, Peter, lovest thou me? Do you remember what Peter said? He said, well, of course, Lord, I love you 
Now, there's two significant words that I want to teach you here tonight that goes along with this thought. And they are two Greek words. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, Peter? Peter answered, Lord, you know I affilius you. That word affilius means I have, Lord, you know I have a brotherly love for you. You know that, Lord. And Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, what is this about? You know I affiliate you. You know I have a brotherly love. And then when Jesus asked him the third time, so Peter, you have a brotherly love for me. And when Jesus presented the question in that realm, the Bible says it grieved him in his heart because he instantly knew that Jesus wasn't talking about an affiliate's love. He was talking about an agape love. And this agape love is an unconditional love. I love you more than anything than my heart or mind could imagine or desire. Lord, I agape you. And so when Peter is writing this passage, whom having not seen, ye love. I'm sure it created a lot of memories, but certainly it brought to mind, no doubt, this particular issue. Peter also knew that he sorrowfully denied the Lord. I want to hold a place here in First Peter, and I want to go to the Gospel of Matthew just for a moment. Write the scripture reference down, if you will, in Matthew chapter 26. I want you to turn there with me, and I want you to see this in verse number 33. I'm going to read verse 33, 34, and 35. Keep in mind the train of thought where we are in First Peter 1, 8. Matthew 26, verse 33, 34, and 35. But Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, This night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Likewise, also said all the disciples. Sometimes I think when we read the story, we have a tendency to leave that part out. We know that Peter made the great confession. We know he was the one that participated in the great denial. However, the scripture says that all of these disciples made that declaration. But what is significant about that? Because the Bible says when they came to apprehend Jesus out of Gethsemane, every single one of them left. They all fled. They all forsook him. Yet they are all emphatically declaring right here that they would not do that. I think sometimes we need to be careful what we say. Peter had terribly failed the Lord. And now when the Lord asked, 
Lovest thou me more than these? I'm sure that Peter remembers the three times that Jesus asked him that question. In John chapter 21, let's look there just for a moment. In John chapter 21, in verse number 15, 16, and 17. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? Now, I've heard many speculations about what the word these actually meant. No doubt when Jesus taught, whenever he preached, he oftentimes used many different things as the way of illustration to get a message across, to get a point across. I'm the vine, you are the branches. This kind of thing. And Jesus oftentimes taught with that method. So this word these, lovest thou me more than these, I've heard some people say it, it was pertaining to all the rest of the disciples. I've heard people say that it was pertaining to the fishing boats that were out in the sea. Maybe the fishing nets. He was a fisherman. Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto them, feed my lamps. He saith to him the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, you know that I affiliate thee. He said unto him, feed my lamps. He saith unto the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved. Now Jesus was using that same word, affiliate thee. That's what grieved him. It pricked his heart. He knew exactly what Jesus was talking about at this point. Because he saith unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. I have an agape love for you, Lord. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Peter finally used the word agape. Now, keep all of that in mind and go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 8. I want to end with this thought. Because Peter, from that point, from the time that he used the word agape, he never went back to the brotherly love that Jesus was pricking his heart about. He never did. From that point forward, he always used the word agape. Agape. And it's the highest form of all love. No doubt, Peter, remember, and this is the one thing that I want to stress with you tonight and end with this place. Because when you read this verse, look at it carefully with me in verse number eight. We're going to close here tonight. Whoming have not seen, ye love. Now, what does that mean? draw your attention to? What does it compel your heart to think about? There could be no other explanation other than John chapter 20, verse 29. When Jesus is in the upper room and he's having that very personal conversation with Thomas, in John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you remember what he had said to the disciples? They had said, he's, he's risen. He's alive. We have seen him. And Thomas is saying, I don't believe it. It cannot be. 
And they said, Thomas, it is true. He is alive. He has risen. We have seen him. And Thomas said this, unless I see him, I'm not going to believe. Unless I touch his nail prints, I'm not going to believe. Unless I can touch his riven side, I'm not going to believe it. So now Jesus appears to him in the upper room and he's having this very personal conversation with him. And Jesus saith unto him, John 20, 29, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen me and yet believe. That, my friend, is you and me. That is the emphasis of verse number eight in First Peter chapter one. Whom having not seen ye love. I'll ask you this question again next Wednesday night as we take this into verse number nine, but let me ask you this. Those of you that are watching by internet tonight, why are you watching? Are you just curious to what's going on at 819 Buford Road? Why are you watching? And those of you here, why are you here? Because you have nothing else to do on a Wednesday night? Listen, I believe you're watching tonight, and I believe all of you are here tonight because you love the Lord. You love him. Peter is giving the value of faith, not seeing. None of us have seen him, but we truly, by faith, believe him. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.